Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the new HBO series, Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons. I love that guy. The new show will feature intimate conversations with compelling guests from the worlds of pop culture, sports, entertainment, the arts, and technology. Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons will also include field segments and Simmons' signature commentary on current events. Make sure to watch Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons premiering Wednesday, June 22nd at 10 p.m. on HBO. We're also brought to you by our new website, TheRinger.com, presented by Miller Lite. Go now and check out the latest in pop culture, sports, and tech at TheRinger.com. I bet we have a lot of stuff about Draymond Green. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, his name is Andy Greenwald of Philadelphia and he is going home. It's Andy Greenwald! What if I did that though? That would I would we still do our you show? You went back to Philly? Yeah. Like that would be emotional. It's also cool that you said that because you People are obviously People Creed, they know how that goes. <laughs> do you what, do you feel like if I returned to like my childhood home on the main line like local like Solomon Schechter kids would show up on ATVs <laughs> just popping wheelies? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think oh, so. Oh man. I'll, also, I want to say, Chris, I, I appreciate you giving me that great intro. You always do. And you referenced Game of Thrones, a popular television show on HBO, which I haven't seen. But you also, but the the, the relevance of that reference, like on the show, the character who says that says she's going back there because she's just going to regulate. Like she's going back to murder people. And Does I feel she like say that, it that would, way? She doesn't say it. I mean, she's going home to her home and she's proud to reclaim her home. But remember, she's not, Arya's not in Westeros. She was all like on an, she was on an, Iron Bank vacation because she wanted to learn how to murder people, right? Which, which is not what I feel I've been like. Arya's Arya's kind of selfish. Arya needs to stop playing hero ball. You know, you think? Yeah, she's been <laughs> out for a minute. She could have she could have dipped back to Westeros. I, here's what I want to say about Arya. She was like, "I'm um, going as far west as I can go. I'm going to the edge of the map." And, and by the way, for the people who listen to our podcast and are like out on Game of Thrones and like to fast forward, don't worry, we're going to talk about the Tonys. So you could just lean on the fast forward button. <laughs> But what I was going to say about Arya was, did she need to be gone that long just to learn how to fight in the dark? That's my question. She already knew how to fight, though. I feel like she, she knew she knew from Syria. Uh, All she got nah. is her ass beat by the waif for, like, a long time. Yeah, but that's like... And then she's like, like, now I finally learned. That's like saying Daniel LaRusso just learned how to, how to wash and wax wood paneling. You know what I mean? She thought she was learning <laughs> one thing, but she was really learning how to be Cobra Kai. Yeah. But... I will say that other than learning how to, like, you know, weather treat wood decks and fight in the dark, I don't know what else she learned. She learned how to shuck pretty quickly. She learned how to, like, run a, you know, a passable raw bar, which is kind of, you know, now that we're going into it, that's a pretty marketable <laughs> skill. I, you know, I, I think that she's got a lot of life lessons she can use. Um, Andy, I went, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about this episode of Game of Thrones. Okay. Uh, because obviously the next episode is called next episode is called Battle of the Bastards, uh, and according to the scenes from next week, uh, it will be a, a huge clash between uh, Ramsey Bolton, Jon Snow, Sir wow. Davos looks like he's involved. Wow, they got the giant who, in the mix. Who could have seen any of that coming? You know what I mean? Like that's um, kind of out of left field. But I wanted to ask you, which you know, like there was some stuff that comes up at the end of this last episode mm-hmm. about. The rumors that uh, mm-hmm. Clyburn, Clyburn or Ky- is it Ky- Clyburn, is that, is I love that, it. Clyburn I is the House Minority Whip. James Clyburn. I can't get it out of my head. 
<laughs> I know. I I because I said that to you once, and now you're just that. That's like when we were prepping to do After the Thrones this week, and I just kept asking Mallory what Beric and Darian's title was, and I was like, Lord of Blackhaven, Black Raven, the Black Raven, and then I just got it so wrong that I intentionally just didn't say anything. Uh, it's tricky, but you know, he he goes up to Cersei and he's like, the rumors are true. And then we kind of kept it moving from there. Um, and I was kind of wondering, do you have any theories about what the rumors could be? Um, I think he was pretty much confirming that Beyonce was never pregnant. That she was... <laughs> he was like, I heard from Juliet Littman. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, I sent a little bird to the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And Juliet Littman <laughs> responded. Um, There's no way a pregnant woman sits down like that. Uh no, okay, so that was obviously, that was a big uh, question mark coming out of the episode. Um, and as much as I would like to give joke answers for the next 20 minutes, I do think that there was a pretty clear, uh, I, I think it's pretty clear what he was talking about. I think he was talking about the rumored stores of wildfire that the Mad King just, just left down in the down in the in the uh in the sewers like teenage mutant ninja turtles just down there and the the reason i say that the the main thing that i've really learned this year and i feel like okay not just me we've all learned it this year and it's not just because we've been watching the episodes closely or or talking about them or more closely than usual it's that when with a show this big and this sprawling with so many plots and so many characters there really is no wasted space anymore like it wasn't so much a surprise that Beric and Darian and Thoros of Mir came back this week because they had been mentioned repeatedly leading up to it, yeah. right? Like, the show has gotten very clever at... Chekhov's Red Priest. It, no, but it, that, that, the, very, the show has gotten very clever in its Chekhovian uh, winking, basically. Like, But things that are mentioned have still have relevance. And as I said on the show the other week on After the Thrones, I, I'm not really checking for Gendry coming back because no one's talked about him. So all that is to say, in Bran's vision from a few weeks ago... I know a vision you watch very closely. Uh, there, we saw the, the 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 pyromancers again. We saw the green stores of wildfire that we hadn't seen since um, Tyrion used a bunch of them to beat Stannis at the Blackwater. So that was my thought. Um, what she might do with those things, I have no idea, and it's sort of terrifying to imagine. I think that it might have something more to do with where she told Kyburn to send those those little birds because mm. she was like go to Dorne go mm-hmm. to Highgarden get up in the north anybody who wants something bad to happen to me I want to know about it and then I'm going to kill him <laughs> she's the source of that I'm paraphrasing yeah um, and so I wonder whether or not it's going to have something to do with one of those places I, I don't know I just I, I was trying to figure out because that was the you know she was like here's what I want you to do with those birds so I would like I mean by that same way that you're like everything has to be laced back through the original knot. Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder whether it has something to do with that. But what would the rumors be? Like the rumors from the North that these certain alliances <laughs> have fallen apart or that Ramsay Bolton is vulnerable or that Jon Snow is alive. The or, rumor or, or is true. The Rosé and Dorn <laughs> is delightful. You know, no longer a rumor. <laughs> happy, to, <laughs> happy, to, happy to politifact that one. <laughs> I can confirm. <laughs> Dude, that's what, you know, if I was Master of Whispers, that's, that's, that's what all my reports would be like. They would all read like Robert Parker's Wine Advocate. Like, put the rumors um, to rest. Well, but here's the other thing that I thought I, 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 about that. The other possibility, I think you're right to mention Kyburn's role as the sort of de facto Master of Whispers. And ever since, 
I know it was your favorite scene of season six, which was the scene with the plums. <laughs> the scene with the Ashley Schaefer BMW and the plums. Um, when, All when the Kyburn, while. <laughs> when, when Kyburn basically... But it took a second just to let people know what we're talking about. I feel like every six months as a public service, just like the right, same way right that this. like television networks used to start our days with the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> I feel like every six months the watch should stop. And celebrate the greatest outtake scene in American television history, which is the scene from Eastbound and Down, where Will Ferrell gives an uninterrupted five-minute soliloquy as Ashley Schaefer from Ashley Schaefer's BMW about about taking his plums to market. And about his son Gabriel watching him fornicating with his wife. (laughs) This is this is the season one outtakes. It's our favorite thing on YouTube. And it pretty much defines good 20 to 40 percent of our life and he and we were really excited son, about that scene his son gabriel his son gabriel he says no gabriel you watch let the boy watch let the boy watch but this was our favorite the point being when kyburn basically flipped oliveris's spies his little children's network yeah. uh all it took was the best usage of plums on hbo since ashley schaefer bmw and eastbound season one which by the way there hasn't really been any room to discuss the fact that like Varys's network seems pretty breachable. This is no black hat situation. You know what I mean? He has starving children. You just give them a sweet plum and they will say anything. So yeah, I I had envisioned sort of like a a a cadre of Mm -hmm. of like faceless kind of spies who mix in and in in flea bottom and everywhere else and instead it's just like a bunch of like starved children with plum juice all over their face no dude dude and if you were in a serious situation in game of thrones like if you were like okay like we're planning x maneuver and then you turned and there was like (laughs) a a little young dude with a plum just like don't mind me i'm just listening don't mind me i'm just finishing my sticky plum (laughs) Like, what if every major mm, room... This plum is good. I like, certainly you know, didn't hear you talking about planning of an attack on Winterfell. This is what I'm saying. If When Tyrion's talking about the history of the world is conversations in elegant rooms, what if it's a history of conversations in elegant rooms with plum prints on the wall? Like, every room that Tyrion is planning stuff in, there's just a sticky residue of... of uh, half-digested fruit juice on the wall. And, like, that's how everything actually gets done. But... Joke though we may be doing, I am serious that I, I, I thought that it was interesting that Kyburn is confirming something clearly sourced through his newly acquired network in the same episode that Varys is suddenly like, yo, I'm out. I have to go. So I wonder slash worry that Varys is moving on bad information because he's never right. had bad information. He's generally controlled the information. So he, him suddenly piecing out, I, I wonder if there's a connection there to what's ha- was happening with Cersei. That that would be the other possibility, I think. Uh, the other one I, thing I wanted to talk about from this episode, and we can just, we can just chat about it. I mean, I don't care. But, um, Dude, that's all the, we chat. This is what we do. People, four years in, they're not expecting when anything Jamie, that. When Jamie goes up to Edmure and he's like, this is, this is my bad side, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a good person. I, I'm rewatching it. I wonder if anything got left on the cutting room floor. I wonder if there there was anything that we could have uh, that could have been added to it. Like I wish that Jamie was like, you know, when he's like, "I'm going to catapult your your baby." Yeah, I remember that part. I wish he would have been like, "I'm going to take your baby and I'm mm-hmm. going to punt that baby like Steve Weatherford." 
and then I'm going to go and catch that same baby like Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> and I'm going to run that baby into River Run and toss that baby like it's a football at the Meadowlands. So so can I just to just to be clear here, what you're suggesting is that much like there's a five minute Ashley Schaefer BMW outtake, there's an outtake of this scene where Jamie Lannister basically does a Westerosi version of the Method Man torture skit from the first Wu-Tang record. <laughs> Where he's like, I'm going to take your baby, and I'm going to start punting your baby, and I'm going to keep catapulting it, and catapulting it, and catapulting it. Yeah. And when your baby is like, don't catapult me no more. <laughs> like, is that where you're going with this? Like, do, I don't know. Do you... I just, I mean, I, I am so in the bag for Jamie that he really can't, he can do no wrong. So why not? Why not? I was just saying that they could have indulged in that a little bit. More. I wonder if Nick Coster Wildo likes early Wu Tang, or if he's just like, you know, maybe he just likes the solo. What do you think he's he probably, likes? He's probably one. Of, you know, he probably likes the first Genius record. Like there were th- those those dudes were always the most annoying to me. I bet he dudes likes. Like, I, but you know, in real life, he's like, I'm I'm super into uh, proper oh, lad rock. Oh, he likes of mice and men and stuff. Like I feel, you know what I mean? Like or oh you, no, you know, I think likes, he likes like stereophonics. I think he likes Alt J. Because let me be clear about something. I'm a, I'm a 39-year-old man who, who's worked in the media for 17 years, and I have I have no idea what Alt-J sounds like, and I don't but care. But you think that, that Nick likes them? He just seems like the kind of dude who maybe, you know, maybe he happens to be doing press in the UK during Tea in the Park, and he knows a guy who knows a guy who can get him backstage, and he has a couple loggers back there, and a band's playing, and, you know, and he's like, in it, you know? Like, he becomes an Englishman at that moment, even though he isn't. And he's just, he's kind of vibing to it. Like, he probably likes that. I don't know what it is, but that sounds like, I feel like that's what that band is. And that's probably what he likes. You know I'm right. I just like, got, I, I'm waiting for a counter, but I feel like I've just, I feel like I know him. I got dis- distracted because I think I just got invited to go to the Cayman Islands for a film festival featuring Zoe Saldana. It, but I'm not is that go, a real? But I was just is like, that a real that's thing? That's great. <laughs> yeah, I hope oh, so. Oh, sidebar did you just confirm what i've long suspected which is you just scroll through your emails when i'm talking on this podcast <laughs> I just, no i got an alert i got an alert like i was like oh no is something wrong and it was just this just somebody be like what's up with the caimans do you do you have an alert anytime anyone mentions zoe saldania to you on social media what, what do you mean why would you get an alert then that you don't normally i got it i got an internal google alert for just for my email um no you, you have my undivided attention as always Look, man, a couple a couple other points. I, I really, I mean, we really had a good time doing After the Thrones this week. And I think one of the reasons wh- why was because we could just talk about Jamie Lannister, who Loki yeah. is one of the most interesting characters on the show. You went right out and said that he's your favorite character on the show. I didn't find By a far. moment during our free-flowing conversation uh, on set to point out that I feel like any time you say he's your favorite character, you feel I feel like you have to say you're an only child. Like, I, I feel like both of us... <laughs> just have to preface that because it, otherwise it's just a little i don't know it's, it's creep town yeah but uh but but there's that it, it is fascinating because for someone i mean part of the part of the purpose of the show and i would imagine the books and i welcome the thousands of furious tweets i'll get because this is incorrect but was you know taking these 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 um these sort of paradigms of fantasy fiction and breaking them down yeah, um, right. And the so in- inverting from, Prince Valiant type exactly. thing. And so Prince Valiant from day one of the show was actually kind of an incestuous monster and a villain. 
but what the show has done in a way that I, I certainly would have predicted from, you know, the first few episodes is that it bro- it tore, tore him off the billboard, basically, but then has slowly built him up in a more interesting way. But as we kept talking about on After the Thrones, there is this sort of elegiac feel to the character's arc right now where he just seems stuck fighting um, yesterday's wars, not the wars to come. The fact, you know, we, we made a big deal talking about how nice he looked in his armor standing by a moat in a drawbridge, which could not be more fantasy trope 101. Um, the fact that he waved to Brienne as she went off to do real, real things while he yeah. was still stuck in that old castle. Um, I think that was sort of a subtle, very subtle um, uh, piece of filmmaking there that I kind of, I, I kind of appreciated. I, 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 you know, I think we both agree that we don't really see a happy ending for this dude, but I wonder if he has, and we talked with Mallory about this, but we didn't really get to a, a firm answer. I wonder what role he has still to play. If if he is headed to, towards some sort of tragedy, and full disclosure, we do, have no idea where he's headed, or if he will play a, a role, however small, in the bigger conflagration that's still to come. Yeah, he's somebody who has existed on the margins of this story for a really long time, even though you know he's been traded back and forth as a chess piece between mm-hmm. the Starks and the Lannisters. He... Uh, you know, committed one of the sort of triggering acts to start this whole thing in motion with killing uh, Eris. He's been, you know, he was on the bench for a while in a lot of ways. And now it was, I think part of the reason why I responded so strongly to the episode was because it was really neat to see him in action out out in the mix, talking to different people, interacting in different scenes. And you know what, let's also, one thing we, we don't often get a chance to do is to look back in hindsight on anything. And, you know, a lot of the the criticism directed towards the show in, in the last season, in season five, was directed at, at Dorne, which, you know, I think a lot of people felt ended up being kind of a, a storytelling dead end. And, I, I, and I, I wrote a bunch of things to that effect in my recaps. Um, it's pretty telling that we haven't gone back there after the, the massacre and the season premiere this year. But much like I was trying to articulate on After the Thrones about the Tyrion and Missandei drinking scene, mm-hmm. that there's certain scenes that can be frustrating to you as a fan of the, the world building could function on a more traditional TV storytelling um, metric or by, by that kind of metric. I, would, I think there might be an argument to be made, or it's not even an argument, it's just worth re- re-examining the Dorne stuff, because as, for as much as that was about ticking off a box on the world map and showing us something new and expanding the horizons, and, and it does seem like the kind of place that they had to cover, because they had Oberyn in the previous season, and then they also just, you know, fans of the book love that place, and there's a lot of action there. Um, but if you look at it not just as, a, a, as an opportunity to add another thing to the opening credits, that was an arc about Jamie becoming a dad, basically. I mean, that was an yeah. emotional arc. And I and I do think it fell flat because it was all over the place and didn't really hone in on that until probably, probably the last episode, the, the last two episodes that, that concerned that plot. But that was, that is, if you just think about that and not think about it. I think if, it, if this it, show was just about Jamie and Cersei and their plot, I mean, that, that's the thing is that like there's, there's just only so much real estate that they can cover. And especially this season as they can, they're obviously starting to construct, you know, they're, they're setting up the bridge to the end right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, some of those characters have to just do the thing. They can't have their moments. And I was, you know, I, I think that sometimes the only place where you get robbed of that is... Let me ask you this. The Jamie stuff that he's saying to Edmure when he's like, I will burn everything to the ground to get back to Cersei. It's like the only thing that matters in this whole world. 
Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, Rob, you didn't bring me here to talk about our sisters. And he's like, that's exactly why I brought you here. Do you feel like that statement, and this could be one of the same thing, is a statement of devotion to Cersei or is it a statement of insanity? Because remember when he got back from being on the road with Brienne and he had lost a hand and he was just like, I've basically traveled across hell to get back to you. And she's like, and you're late. Yep. Like Cersei and Jamie do not have a loving relationship in the typical, in the typical, you know, conception of the idea. Obviously, because they're brother and sister, um, and they like to sleep <laughs> together underneath their dead son. But you know, I, I I think that their relationship and the motivation for some of their actions winds up having to take a backseat to the overall plot point that we're going towards. I agree, but the flip side of that is if we get six seven eight we're getting more than six seven eight seasons of the show there there inevitably there is room for for some of it of the of the emotional uh, homework and the thing about jamie that's that's fascinating and this is true for many of the characters but jamie has nothing like that that is the thing about that scene and about his behavior in this episode is that he's he's such a chameleon because there is nothing inside he he survives by by being a mirror and reflecting back what people expect to see. So Brienne sees a, a knight and he performs the role of knight and Edmer sees a supervillain and he performs that role pretty well too. Everyone, he's a vessel, he's a cipher because he's like really good looking and used to be good with a sword and look good with armor. So he played that yeah. role. But all of this comes back. I mean, but the, the, the familial anguish that Tyrion has and has had more room to express, Jamie certainly has too. I mean, he had, his mother died you know, and when he was young. His father was a monster and the only person who's ever been constant in his life is his sister. So if you take that away, he doesn't have anything, which is, you know, that's, 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 that is a inflated literary version of why everyone in the world goes to therapy. Because you don't want to look well, at the hole, I you want to fill the hole. I think that in terms of the show, that is a very good explanation for the behavioral stuff. But in terms of the show and the mechanics of the narrative, maybe what I'm, the itch I'm trying to scratch is the absence of Tywin then. Because, sure. Because it, Tywin the... served as, Tywin served as the, like, the tripwire for everything and it was mm -hmm. he was the one who was like i mean you could say that he was he was the one that they were all trying to impress or run away from you know and and it was his he articulated what lannisters were so well yes. that i think that and, and that's probably part of the re, part of the issue that's facing this family in this fictional world now is that they don't know what they are and they don't have really a purpose you know but he was so good at being you know he's carving up that boar and he's like this is what lannisters are this is what you have to be this is what your sister is this is what your brother is and maybe yeah. that maybe there's like a little bit less uh oversight it's now such a good metaphor too because isn't the stag is wasn't that house baratheon and he's just sitting there carving it up right that's right uh, in front what of him i mean th this is this is what all the characters are struggling with over the over the however many se for the six seasons is you know to 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 have a to be in a family basically in one of these great houses gives you a role to play which is pretty useful because otherwise you just might be a hippie getting slaughtered in the middle of a field but you know being in your lane you can also be in a rut and you know you you will go down with the ship even though you might have something better inside of you you know you or you might be capable of so much more like Jamie seems to have fun on his road trip with Bronn last year you know he he just there's just nothing else for him to do it's never occurred to him that he could break free because he feels this obligation to Cersei, even though, even though she, uh, I mean, you know, they, they, we, 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 we even talked about they're twins, they, even though they're twins and they like to have sex with each other. I don't know if we've been clear about that point, <laughs> but, but they, it's them against the world, which is, you know, that's a, it's romantic. It is romantic. That, that's why I like them. 
because they're romantic and they're twins that like to have sex with each other. Andy, just want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Loot Crate. This episode is brought to you by Loot Crate, and Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and pop culture gear. For less than $20 a month, you get four to eight items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and more. Make sure to head over to LootCrate.com watch and enter code watch to save $3 on any new subscription. Now, Loot Crate is actually more than just a subscription service. It's an entire community of fans that share their experience and interact with each other around the unboxing of each month's crate. And they guarantee $40 or more in value every crate, in every crate. So that's that's a lot. And it's, sometimes it's a lot more. Every month there's a different theme and all items are curated around that theme. So previous crates have included franchises like Star Wars, Marvel, uh, The Walking Dead, The Legend of Zelda, and many more. And pop culture is full of brave new worlds and societies in flux that don't always turn out for the best. June's theme will be exploring some of the things that can go wrong with Dystopia. Featuring classics Robocop, Terminator to Judgment Day and The Matrix and new faves like Bioshock Infinite and Fallout 4. We, they've got a figure, cool collectibles, and of course the dystoporific monthly t-shirt. Remember, you only have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. So go to lootcrate.com watch and enter promo code watch to save $3 on your subscription today. Also want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Indochino. Now, Indochino makes made-to-measure suits, and, and they make them affordable, they make them for the masses. You got to understand, when you get a suit off the rack, man, it's just not you're, not, you're actually not wearing a suit. You're wearing something that anyone could wear. But with Indochino, you wear something that's made just for you. It's a one-of-a-kind, it's uniquely for you. And you just feel so much more confident. You feel like you look much better. If you're going to any kind of event, whether you're going to a job interview, a wedding, what have you, you want to feel like your best self. That's what Indochino lets you do. Indochino is reinventing fashion, and a made-to-measure suit is the best suit you will ever own. So suit up. Get a one-of-a-kind made-to-measure suit. You customize the details you want. You pick the lining, the lapels. You can either monogram it if you want, and you get 14 unique measurements that go into making a suit, so it fits you perfectly. Shoulders, how, whatever you want to do. You can't go wrong with a well-crafted 100% merino wool suit. And you want to check out their made-to-measure dress shirts and men's accessories so you can put the whole package together. You get a money-back guarantee. And today, our listeners get any premium suit for just $399, which is up to 50% off at Indochino.com. All you have to do is enter watch at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. There's no reason not to try your first custom-made suit with a deal this good. And a suit classic from their premium collection will look good, feel good, and last. That's Indochino.com, promo code WATCH, for any premium suit for just $399 plus free shipping. Indochino, your look, your way. I did just want to say, by way of segue, I know segues are your thing, but do oh, you if you've remember? got a segue for Jamie and Cersei sleeping together to the Tony Awards, I can't wait to hear it. I just want to say, I do. Well, no, I was going to do one other Game of Thrones point, because do you remember the episode where Tyrion killed Tywin was aired on Father's Day in America? And I was like, <laughs> nice job. I thought it was pretty interesting that, that like the, most, the show's most devastating treatment of theater and the theater community aired on the same night as the Tonys. Like, Jackin just doesn't like theater. The Faceless Men have no time for theater. Like, I thought the yeah. Faceless Men could have been like Ben Brantley and Chris Isherwood at the Times, because, you know, they're anonymous critics, but no, no, no. <laughs> he no. was dedicated to getting Lady Crane, man. She, One way she or another. Getting... <laughs> that's what I'm saying. One she way was or another, also very chill about having, be, being marked for death. Arya was like, you're, you're, on, you're on the list, girl. And she was just like, cool. I have, like a, I have to do the matinee, though. 
look, theater people love doing theater. That's something we learned last night at the Tonys, which you and I both watched. And I don't know how often we do that. I, I don't want to assume. Are you are you a regular? No, like uh, like most of America, I think that Hamilton grabbed my interest. Yeah, I, I love an NPH hosted show, but yeah, I thought Corden was great last night. Um, but I was really watching for the the Hamilton victory lap. It was pretty interesting to watch. It was, you know, it was. I thought they handled it as probably as best as they as best they could. Um, it got a little silly towards the end when you just have like the president and first lady put put their thumbs on the scale and be like, because all the other shows had like Carrie Russell two weeks out of the delivery yeah, suite. I know at Mount Sinai, <laughs> and she's like, I was in a movie once, and they made a show about it. And like that's Carrie nice. Russell was just like, you may have seen me walking down the street with a Van Leeuwen cone with my kids. <laughs> But, Let me tell you about Waitress. But here's Waitress. But by the way, here's the president. And then it's just like everyone at the end was just basically like, thank you. Thank you, based musical, for allowing us to share the stage with you. Um, you know, that has got to be my my big takeaway from the night was just like maybe the people nominated in categories against Hamilton probably had the most fun and chill awards experience anyone oh, has ever had. Can you imagine how nominated. relaxed you might? Because if you win... You basically have to apologize slash yeah. you'd probably just be like, I don't deserve this. And then if you lose and when you lose, you could just be like, a OK, the, the, the flip side of that. And, you know, I, I assume people heard or they they turned off our, our, our own ham for ham pod that we did a couple months ago because we were both lucky enough to see the show. You saw it in like December. Is that right? I, or yeah. November. And I saw it. I saw it in January. And we both I mean, I think it's even now, even to. After last night, I still think it's better than the hype, or my experience was. Like, I do think it's one of the most astonishing artistic experiences I've ever had. And I was so happy for everyone involved with the show. But during last night's Tony's broadcast, I was thinking, like, imagine if you are a backup go-go dancer in the Gloria Estefan number. Like, and, and, and you know... If you're just the banjo job... player in Bright Star. But it's like, that even though I was like, okay, that's a thing. But like... If your job is to go up there and be like, it, it just sing with Gloria Estefan, a Gloria Estefan song from 1986, and be like, please judge us with the same critical eye that you would judge Hamilton. I think I like, have a better one, which is imagine you're the dude who is playing the Jack Black role in the School of Rock musical. I would take it a step further. I would like to pretend I am that dude so I could jump into a fire. <laughs> and they're coming up to you and they're like you really as if you have to capture like Lawrence Olivier playing Hamlet you're like you really need to get the essence of what Jack Black brought to School of Rock <laughs> the subtleties of and it and when you say yeah you need to believe it like Black believed it <laughs> that was really good man maybe you're an Thanks. understudy I, I was watching that though and like first of all Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote that show which is so weird School of Rock? yes what? yes yes what? that's why he introduced it Oh, he was like, I thought he was, he was like, just like, yeah, sure, whatever you guys I mean, need. He, he, I was impressed that he spoke on stage because he has one of those faces where, like, the part of his face that used to be his face is now tied somewhere behind his spinal column. Yeah, he, like, he took Phantom of the Opera a little seriously. He has a couple faces and then got a couple other faces. And <laughs> he, but then he was just like, the delightful the, memorable was film. The, was it a Jack He-Man Black. character, Manny Faces? <laughs> oh no! Oh um, no! Wasn't that Man of War? And he had a dial on his head, and he could just switch faces. <laughs> yeah, but that oh, School of Rock thing was just—it was just bad. And like that was the thing about the Tonys that was pretty remarkable, because generally, you know, 
and maybe this is, makes it good, but like you watch the you watch the Oscars, and there are always movies that are not good that are nominated, but they're not good in a way that is generally like code for trying to be good or trying to appeal to people or pandering. Like a movie like Crash or something gets in there, or you know, Theory of Everything. I don't care about that, but like it it's a it has the patina of quality that gets into the Oscars, right? But mm-hmm. the Tonys cast a wider net because there aren't as many shows, and so things that seemed actively pretty terrible to me were on stage also. And everyone seemed to be having a good time, which I respect. But yeah. do, do you know, I what, mean, I'm, they you know pro- what I'm getting at I think here? they professionally have a good time. I think musicals tend to be, especially the musicals, like the people from The Humans seem they were like, yeah, that was a fucking drag, right? Not yeah. if not working for Joe Mantello. Working no, for Joe Mantello. No, I mean, I think that like the actual like emotional content of the, of the play is probably True. very like Osage County-esque. But like, True, they, but they, like, they, they the, but all those dudes, including Reed Burney, who's a really good actor, talked about Joe Mantello the way Steve Stout talks about Pusha T. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> these dudes were like, Joe Mantello actually wrote the McDonald's I'm Loving It theme. Yeah, like, Joe, no Joe shots. Mantello. No shots. <laughs> Joe those Mantello two guys beat in Russia in 1980. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know when, when Joe Biden gets on the radio and he's just like, we're doing a moonshot for cancer? Like, I now know the two people who should be on his speed dial. It's Pusha T and Joe Mantello. Like, those dudes get the best out of the people they work with. Um, um, any other thoughts think? on the Tonys before we go? We have a couple, just a couple other points to say. One is, um, I really love learning about what show I'm watching or what the show's audience is by the advertisers. And like when I used to watch a lot of cooking channel at off hours and all the ads would be for like, put in your own catheter kits. And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Like I now, now I know who's watching the show with me. Um, I was pretty, it was pretty funny, like CBS primetime special. And there was that commercial for, like, the cellular company that has the phones with two buttons on it. You know, the one that my mom sees the ad and she's like, oh, that looks better than an iPhone. <laughs> like, those are commercials yeah. I don't usually see. So I thought that was funny. Um, what did you think? Uh, well, okay, two, two, I want to talk Hamilton, but I also want to talk Corden. What did you think of, of Corden as the host of this event? I thought he did a nice job. I mean, he's obviously, like, the thing that the Tonys do that's really smart is... They get the most famous song and dance person they can. I, mm-hmm. I feel like the Tonys have incredibly good luck with the hosts. And uh, I thought that, you know, in, in TV or in movies, it's like when you have Gervais, Gervais is like antagonistic towards the entire right. thing that they're doing. In some ways, like Chris Rock is too. But with the Tonys, it's cool to see somebody who's like, I'm in awe of you guys. And yes. I, I kind of secretly wish I just was in bright star or in whatever and i think that that helps the generally very celebratory nature of what it is i mean in in hollywood it tends to be a little bit more acidic or a little bit more like self-flagellating whereas at the tonys i think everybody's just like it's really really hard to do this every night and yeah and 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 it's enthusiastic and very supportive and it felt cleaner somehow it felt nice and you know i wonder what would happen if you applied that vibe to the oscars i, I mean think i think a, that it, they try to with like the glory of the movies but the the intros the you know the monologues yes. are always just like look at you rich assholes because you know, they are the i mean it's a viper pit. You've made yeah you know i i think that's i think that's weirdly accurate I, I was thinking about how stage actors like they were just so they're so much better at giving speeches and being human beings you know, like there were, there were every all the speeches were so considered and classy and kind and generous. And, and some of them were obviously considered because Hamilton people knew they were going to win, you know, since January. But um, 
but also there were there was also a generosity of spirit that went in different directions. Obviously, there were people reaching out and commenting on the the horrible tragedy in Orlando, but there was also a surprising amount of um, religion from the stage, from some of the you know even from some of the the Hamilton cast members. And I found it kind of you know this is me post Chance the Rapper conversion, so please understand that. But sure. I found it quite moving. You know, it was the sort of the things that um, that uh, uh, Leslie Odom said about Lin Manuel Miranda, or that um, Renee Goldsberry said about. Um, having children and about God, watching them. It was very, uh, it felt it was very inclusive and moving. And it felt like exactly the sort of thing that people in Hollywood would be afraid to say because they would be laughed at or mocked or it wouldn't be genuine. And maybe it wouldn't be. So I, I thought that, I also thought that, you know, nice. there's, there's people like you mentioned, Ryu Burning, who was just like, I've been doing this for <laughs> yeah. however many, like 35 years or 42 yes. years or something. And he's like the first 35 sucked, you know, and it's, yeah. you, 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 you often, it, it, it's, it takes a real Hail Mary miracle for something like that to happen in Hollywood where somebody who's basically been a date like on the bench for, for that long can come through and do that. And that's that's very, very, very lovely when something like that can happen. I, I agree. And I thought Corden was a really good host. I thought his opening Hamilton thing was terrific. I thought the other thing where he did all the other musicals went on way too long, but people seemed to like it. But He's just. And we should do another pod. Where we talk about just him in the finale. Yeah, we should do like a late night, probably to sum up. Yeah, I thought this week he had just doing donuts on basically on Colbert's lawn in New York was pretty interesting. Um, but the last point was just Hamilton. We love it. We're excited to see it win and triumph. Um, what do you think? Who do you think came out of this the best? I mean, maybe that's not the right question. All, all the biggest stars of the show won big, and that was all expected and deserved. Like, I was, Leslie Odom deserved acting Tony more than Lin-Manuel, because Lin-Manuel got everything else. Um, a lot of the people are leaving the cast uh, mm-hmm. in the next few months when their contracts are up, and obviously the show's going to keep printing money. But do you think there's a very Tony vibe to their next moves in the sense that they all realize they are theater lifers and this is a once in a lifetime thing and it's going to set them up and they'll, you know, they'll win many Tonys and be in other shows, but they're never going to like get the next fame Apple. Or do you think one of them in particular is ready for the next, the next I, step? Well, I would have to imagine at this point, there are people who are, are lining up with checkbooks to talk to Lynn Miranda and saying, where do you want me to sign? You know, whatever you want to do next, you just tell me where, where how much you want. But Odom is the interesting part for me. I've been in my head pretty much since I've seen Hamilton trying to cast him in other stuff that I see. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, just like I was even thinking, could Leslie Odom play Daniel Caffey in the NBC A Few Good Men? And oh, I think it's a testament to how incredible he is in Hamilton. And you can hear it if you haven't seen the show. If you can hear it in the way he sings and you, if you see any video clips, you can see it in the intensity of his performance is that... There is a little bit of like there is a little bit of polish that other people have that Odom actually eschews. I think he's got it and he's got like the capacity for it, but he makes Burr so on edge in this show mm-hmm. that it's almost hard to imagine him doing something other than this. And I obviously he will, but it would be you know he was on, on Smash before this. You know he was in Law and Order. He was doing the the New York actor thing. But I've been trying in my head to put him in other stuff that I see because it's just I thought he was so remarkable. And it's actually pretty hard. And it's a testament to how good he is in the show. Yeah. And it's also a testament to among the many, many things that Hamilton does so well. It it gave people their most amazing platforms to succeed in a certain way. I mean, the skill set required to play um, Angelica Schuyler 
is very, very specific. And very, very few people can do it. I don't know how you translate that. Similarly, what David Diggs does on stage as uh, Lafayette and as Jefferson is so electric and so amazing and taps into all of his abilities, which, you know, initially weren't stage acting, right? He was a rapper. Um, and 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 I, I think that's primarily what he was doing, right? He was, but yeah. the point being, what else is going to give people a chance to do all of, to use all of those skill sets? And and Lin Manuel is in a different situation because people are backing up the truck, and he can do. He's doing the Mary Poppins sequel where he can like write and you know and dance and 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 write the songs and and do all the things that he wants to do. But it'll be very interesting to see what these other people do do going forward because what they've done, you know what they did was was magical and it was exciting that people got to watch it last night yeah i hope we don't look at it as like a gift and a curse i hope that this can be this like incredible thing that they gave people and that they'll you know it's one of those things where it's like it wouldn't be so bad to always be known for this no they will always 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 be very very beloved for this i think they're they're, they're never gonna have to pay for a drink in new york anyway again <laughs> all right well we'll try to hit people with a re-up this week i'm pretty sure we will and until then i'll talk to you soon buddy great job redsky I'm Jeff Shackelford, and today on Shack House, we discuss the all things the U.S. Open. Joe Buck and our special guest, Brian Curtis, told us all about his feature on The Ringer. That's Shack House on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. <laughs>